Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. We are in the middle of a study through Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, go there. I want to read um, out of the ESV, uh, Psalm 23. We've titled this series, The Provider, and uh, we've just been tackling a verse verse each Sunday. And I know you're like, man, this church is only preaching one verse at a time. No, we got plenty of other scriptures to support it. We don't always do this, but we felt, my dad and I felt like it was important for us. And so uh, the past two weeks, he's My dad has hit verses one, two, and verses three. So today, we're gonna hit verse five. I'm just kidding, we're gonna hit verse four. We're not gonna skip. So go with me to Psalm 23. In fact, could you stand up one more time as we read read the word? Um, This is out of the ESV. So it'll be the same that's on the screen, but it might be different than your translation. This is what David writes. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not, what? Want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And how many are thankful that God is restoring your soul? Man, it's just so good. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And here's the passage we'll hit on today. Even though I walk through, somebody say through, that's important, the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Some of you know people like that. They are so in tune with God that everything that is inside of them is overflowing out of them. When you're around them, you're just like, I'm in the presence of God. Some of you know people like that. Amen. Some of you are those people. He says, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. Somebody say forever. Forever. You may be seated. I uh, I think, you know, I want to talk about the valley. And there's, there's, there's no question that some of us have been through some valleys. Some of us have been through some dark moments. Some of us have been through some depression. Some of us have been through hell. Maybe some of you are in it. And you can't seem to get out of it. And there's two questions I think about. Question number one is, how do you respond to the valley that you're in? How do you respond to the darkness that you're, you're, you're put in or... You put yourself in. How do you respond to it? But two, which is the question I want to sit on, is what should you know about the valley? What should you know? Because how many believe that our response is determined by what we know? Our response to something is determined by what we know about that something. We we want this. We want to know. Right? Before we go somewhere, we want to know. You have friends like that? Before you go, this is what you need to know. And I'm like, I don't need to know all that. But actually, it would have been beneficial if I knew it, right? These are the places to shop. These are the places to eat. This is where you don't eat. The problem is I always go to that place where I shouldn't eat. And I'm like, you should have told me. And they said, I try to tell you where you should have gone. We we crave this as people. We we just, we're all about it, right? I, I want to know what I should know before I go. You know, I find myself in Disney World, uh, my wife and I and our kids about a month ago. Anybody like Disney World? Come on. No, okay, it's like we don't got to talk about the politics of Disney World. We can just enjoy it, okay? Magic is real to my, to my kid. And so I got my two little boys, and, and we're there. And, uh, man, it's tiring pushing two kids in a stroller all day. I'm like, God gave you some legs. Now walk. But I'm sitting there, I'm putting, you know, my, my wife's about to have our third baby, so I'm, I'm pushing, you know, the cart, and she's walking. And, and we, we just had so much fun. But there is one ride in particular, the Buzz Lightyear ride. Any, anybody know the Buzz Lightyear? You know what I'm talking about? It's like... You know, you're shooting like aliens and targets, and I just could never, never beat that. I could never win. And I'm a sharpshooter, all right? Come on, I just, I, I can't understand why I don't know this game until I found out there, there are some things that you need to know if you want to win at the Buzz Lightyear game. There are some targets that you need to go after, but you only know where the targets are if you know and if you've heard. So I did some research. I went on, I went on the YouTube. And I was like, 
Buzz Lightyear, Disney World, cheat code, and I found what I needed to know, what I should have known, and I got in there, and me and my son were in this, uh, in this thing, and, and I was like, how do people get like all of these points, and I'm getting nothing, and so I knew what I needed to know. Check this out. This is, uh, this is me and my son at Disney World on the... Uh... Oh, yeah. Come on, somebody. Let's go, baby. Come on. <laughs> That's it right there. That's it. Come on, in Jesus' name. And I was, uh, I was there. Everybody was like, what? So your son did that? Of course not. I did that. I didn't let him shoot anything until I got the high score. And then, I, and then I gave back to him. But I knew, I'm a great dad, all right? A great dad. I knew what I needed to know. And it tremendously changed, you know, the outcome. And I, I just think uh, that as we read what David is writing, and as we read what uh, David is penning here in Psalm 23, Essentially, what he's giving us is the knowledge. And I've titled this message this morning, if you're taking notes, because here at VLC, watching it online, we are note takers, because we will get the biggest houses in heaven, so we take notes. But here's the title of this morning's message. This is Valley Knowledge. Valley, somebody say Valley Knowledge. Valley Knowledge. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you and we love you. And God, we are so blessed to be in your presence. And I know many of us have got a lot of things going on. But Father, would you allow us to submit ourselves to you, to listen to you, to listen to your word? And as we discuss and break down this passage in Psalm 23, verse 4, Lord, would you give us the insight that we need to know about the valley? In Jesus' name, everybody said one more time. Amen. amen, amen. Let me talk about mountains for just a moment. You know, we live in South Florida. We are, we are home to the eighth wonder of the world. Mount Trashmore. And, uh, um, you know, I drive by Mount Trashmore every day. It's, it's on uh, the turnpike. And um, I'm talking about the dump. If you don't know what I'm talking about. If you're from South Florida, it's the big hill. And I drive by it every day. It's on, I think it's on sample in the turnpike. Does that sound right? Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I love that place. Um, I always wanted to know what was, what was on top of the dump. I just, I was so eager to know. I was like, is, it, is there like a massive hole where they just dump everything in like it's getting bigger it's getting taller and they're doing they're constantly doing things upgrading the dump it looks like and so I went so in eighth grade I went and I wish I could tell you what I saw but I forgot all I remember was that we went to Burger King after and I got some a burger and fries but it was like the, it was it's the mountain of South Florida now I, I experienced some real mountains um, when I went to camp one summer here with this youth group we were in the Blue Ridge Mountains Anybody been to the Blue Ridge Mountains? Oh, my goodness. Getting up there was one of the most scariest moments of my life, venturing up that mountain. But when you got to the top, some of you know this, when you get to the top, it was well worth it, right? You almost died getting up, but now that you're up there, it's like, I might as well enjoy this. I might as well, I might as well capture this moment because this is, this is so good. This is so right for me to be here, it almost reminds me of in, in Matthew chapter 17. Moments like these, our natural inclination is to hold on to it, to freeze it. If you recall in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus takes his uh, chosen three disciples. Who were they? Peter, James, and Judas? No, of course not. John, Peter, James, and John, he takes them to what is called the Mount of, or, or the, the Transfiguration of Jesus. And they go on this mountaintop and they experience Jesus in his glory. His face shines, his clothes light up. Peter's like, God, this is so good for me to be here. He's like, well, what should we do? He's like, let's build a tent. He's like, I'm gonna build a tent for you. And, and, and on it was uh, Moses and Elijah, in fact. He's like, let's build some tents for them. He's like, I just want to stay here. But tell the person next to you, you can't stay there. God never intended for you to stay there. You see, these are what we would call mountaintop experiences. These are the moments that we love. These are the moments that we crave. These are the moments that it seems to be that Jesus and his word is more clear than, than ever. These are with utter clarity. We see the vision of God. It was on Mount Moriah where Abraham saw the provision of God. We just sang about it, Jehovah Jireh. It was on Mount Sinai that Moses received the Ten Commandments. It was on a Mount Carmel or Carmel or Caramel that uh, Elijah the prophet, which I'm going to talk about here in a bit, 
He had the showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, these mountaintop experiences, it's like this is, this is a revelation for us. I want to be at the mountaintop. And so we try to capture it. We try and freeze it. We try and keep it. But unfortunately, God never intended us to stay there. Because how could we possibly stay in these moments with that much clarity, with that much vision? Remember what Jesus told when he said to Peter, James, and John as they were leaving the transfiguration. He said, I want you to tell nobody about this. Don't tell anybody about this vision. The vision was there, and then it wasn't there. And I share that with you because I think a lot of times the mountaintop experiences are what are preparing us for the valley. It's those, those high spiritual moments that we, that we love and that we crave that actually prepare us for the low and for the dark moments. It's, it's just as like a rock climber whose goal is to get to the top, has to understand that he's got to start at the bottom. How many of you feel like today that you either been at the bottom or you're currently at the bottom? And, and you know where you want to be, but you know where you have to start. We should desire the, the top, but we have to understand and realize that this is where we start. David, David knew the valley. It was, it was clear to him. He knew what it was like at the bottom, but he learned from it and he wrote about it. So let's talk about it. Look at verse four again, if you have your Bibles. He said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, now maybe you're assuming today that this is talking about death. And a lot of times you'll hear this at funerals, people will preach this passage. It doesn't necessarily always mean about the, the, the death that we will at some point walk into and then be faced with you know, the glory of God. But notice that David says, I walk, I walk, I don't, will walk, or I one day will walk, he says, even though I walk, say, this, this applies to me. Come on, tell yourself, this applies to me. I know we love applying the good things about the Bible, but we got to apply the bad things about the Bible as well, right? We can't re just reject that. No, God only intended this for me. No, God also intended this for us. So we have to understand that David is walking through it. Therefore, we are going to walk through it. What is he talking about? He's talking about the difficult experience He's talking about the, the battle with depression. It's the opposite of the pasture that he talks about in verse two. The, the green pasture, where I find comfort, where I find coolness. If the, if the pasture represents pleasure, well then the valley represents pain. If the mountaintop represents blessings, well then the valley represents problems. And how many of you got some problems in your life? We got some, come on, somebody say amen, brother. We got, we got some problems that we don't really like, but we know we're going to get the blessings, but we know we also got the problems. But I thought God only had great things for me. I thought God didn't have any bad things for me. I didn't know God would ask me to go through something like that. Well, go ahead and ask Job. God would never ask me to marry that type of person. Go ahead and ask Hosea. I'm just saying that maybe... Don't be surprised if the valley that God has put you in is putting you there for a reason. But I also want you to consider that it might be you. Somebody say me. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, it could be you. It could be us that are putting ourselves through these things. Right? It's not always God. It could be us. But regardless, here's what I want to, want to gain from this. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's what we learn from this. And here's number one. I want to give you three things about the valley. The first one is this. Valleys are certain but temporary. Valleys are certain but temporary. In, um, in John 16, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's, he's reminding them. He's like, hey, by the way, nobody's going to like you. The, the world is going to hate you. Why? Because you believe in me. He goes on to say, in fact, some might even try to kill you and present it as an offering of service to God. Great motivational speech, Jesus. I'm just so encouraged to follow you now. You're saying everybody's going to hate me and the world might try and kill me. Sign me up for another 10-year contract all right, with an option at the end, okay? Just, just thank you for encourage, that, that encouragement. But um, he finishes um, that message He's got a, the, the triumphant conclusion to this message, which, by the way, is the last message he preached before the cross to his disciples. This is what he says in John chapter 16. Go there if you can, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 16. I'm going to get there faster because I had a bookmark. John chapter 16, verse 33. This is what, this is what Jesus says. 
He says, I've told you all these things, the persecution, the death. He said, I told you these things so that in me, somebody say in him, you may have peace. How many thankful for the peace of God that passes all understanding? The peace of God, he says, you may have peace, but in this world, here's what I want to hit on, you will have trouble. God did not promise me trouble. Go to John chapter 16, verse 33. You will. In fact, tell the person next to you, you can't run from it. You can't hide from it. Trouble is coming. He says, you will have trouble. So, so the question isn't whether it's a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. But notice that he says, peace is offered. Offered. Peace is offered, but trouble is promised. Peace is the good news that Jesus brings, but trouble isn't fake news. It's real. And it's going to happen. And sometimes it just happens all of a sudden without a warning. Like you didn't plan for it. You didn't wake up today and say, God, I just want it to rain. And I want to drive in a pothole where I pop my tire. God just, in Jesus' name. I mean, we don't pray to walk out and say, Lord, I want to step in a puddle with my shoes. We don't pray, Lord, I want to run over a nail. Like we don't, we don't ask for these things. Sometimes these things just happen instantaneously. Sometimes they happen spontaneously. Sometimes it just takes place. But I'll tell you what, and believers, you know this. I've learned this in my ministry, and for those of you who have been in ministry much longer than I have, you know this. For those of you who have been in the faith much longer than I, you know this. A lot of times it'll come on the heels of a spiritual and an emotional high. It's like things were so good. God was so great. The vision was so clear. But as soon as I got home, it was like, where is God? Where are my friends? Where was this feeling that I had? Where was this fire that I had that was inside me? I was ready to, you know, take hell and conquer. I was ready for it, and now I'm scared of it. Now I'm fearful of it. You, you remember Elijah? I told you I'd talk about Elijah again. Elijah, the prophet of God. Oh, man, this, this is so good. You remember what happens with Elijah? There was a God by the name of Baal that people were worshiping. And Elijah said, I, I guarantee you my God is real and yours is not. And they were like, Elijah, your God is not real and mine is, and ours is real. And he said, all right, let's have a showdown. Let's go onto the mountaintop and let's see whose God is real. You build a, an offering and I'll build an offering. And we won't light it on fire. We'll allow our God to light it on fire. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, they scream to their God. They're, they're yelling. They're fighting. They're cutting themselves. Elijah's like, maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, they're just like, come on, let's go. He's sleeping. Nothing happens, and all of a sudden Elijah speaks, and then the fire of God comes down from heaven and disintegrates his offering. This is, talk about a mountaintop experience. Talk about like, you know when you pray for something and God answers it, and you're like, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, God, God, man, this is so crazy. You know, you're like so excited about sharing what just took place, a mountaintop experience. You would think Elijah, the prophet of God, who just defeated 450 prophets of Baal, which, by the way, he, he had them slaughtered and killed. You would think that this man would be walking on clouds. But all it took was one person, the wife of the king of Israel, Ahab. Her name was Jezebel, which, by the way, we're about to have a girl. We're naming our daughter Jezebel. I'm just kidding. Jezebel. <laughs> I almost convinced myself that we were naming her Jezebel. So Jezebel is the wife's, uh, the, the wife's king, and, uh, or the king's wife, and uh, she's like, you know what, Elijah, I, I don't really like this guy. In fact, by tomorrow, send word that this man is going to die. And you would think Elijah would be like, not on my watch. Come try and get me. I'm going to send the fire of God down to you. What does he do? He runs. He flees. And there's a moment in Elijah's life where he gets to a point, he, he goes to a cave of depression. He just had this mountaintop experience, and on the heels of the emotional and spiritual high, the enemy attacks Elijah and convinces him that he's not strong enough and that he doesn't serve a God who is more strong. So what does Elijah do? He runs to a cave. He finds himself in, in depression. He finds himself in a temporary safe haven with complete darkness and utter aloneness. And he even gets to the point where he says, Lord, take me. I don't want to be here. And I just wonder if we've found ourselves at that point. For God, we just, don't want to, we just don't want to be here anymore. I'm just tired. I'm done. This isn't working out for me. 
But, um, but how many know that God is our shepherd? Come on, God is our shepherd. And he cares for you, and he loves you, and he has a purpose for you. He wants what's best for his children. How many know that? Come on, somebody say amen to that. He wants what's best for his children. In fact, I didn't finish John 16, because he said, you will have trouble, but I want you to take heart. I have, not I will, or I someday can. He said, I have overcome the world. And so, so we can take heart. The, the problem is we are still sheep. Like Elijah, we are still sheep, and sheep do sheep stuff. Come on, tell the person next to you, I can't stop doing sheep stuff. Come on, I just can't help it. I'm a sheep. I'm dumb. I wander. I do stupid things because I am a sheep. But thank God that sheep have a shepherd. Amen? So we are sheep. So just like, you know, God didn't put Elijah in that cave. Elijah put himself in that cave. And so we have to understand that perhaps it's us that are putting ourselves through these types of valleys. I mean, come on, certainly we know stories like Job, right? We know, the, oh, we know the story of Job. What you know of Job is like the first chapter, and that's it. And then everything else, you're like, ah, whatever. But I know the story of Job. Right? Satan and God have a conversation. And God's like, I could just see it with a, with a smile on his face. God's like, what do you think about my servant Job? Isn't he pretty awesome? You know, Satan just got done. This is what it says in the passage. Satan just got done roaming the earth. And then he goes up to God, and God's like, what do you think about Job? Isn't he a man of God? And Satan's like, that's because you've given him everything. That's because you've given him protection and you've given him blessing. But I wonder what would happen to Job if you took everything from him. And God says, go ahead, Satan. Take everything from him, but you can't touch his life. So the story of Job is really about Satan given, being given the approval of God to mess up this man's life, to cause a righteous man to suffer. Job even has three friends. Well, I don't know if we call them friends. Some of you got some friends that... You thought they were friends until they showed up when you were, when you were at, at your problem state, when you were at your valley state. The fact that they even showed up is surprising because usually nobody shows up. But when they do show up, the only thing they do is they, they try to persuade you and convince you that God isn't God. Why, why would a God put a man like that through that? Why would he cause you to lose that? Why would he cause you to lose? Why, why would a God who loves you cause that? But his friends couldn't persuade Job because he didn't receive that. In fact, he continued to, to thank God. And what did God do? He blessed him and he gave him a double portion of all that he had. So we know stories like Job. God is putting people through things simply to bring him glory. God may be putting you through things to bring him glory. But I wonder about the valleys that we put ourselves in. You know, it's easy to point the finger and raise the fists at God because we read scriptures like Psalm 115, verse 3. God does whatever he pleases. Lamentations 3.37. Nothing happens outside of his control. So we know God brings us through trials. We know God puts us through valleys. But I love what one writer and Pastor David Mathis said. He said, we need to be careful as our visions of his sovereignty expands, that we not attribute something to him in a way scripture does not. He goes in to say this, and he talks about the, the story of James in the book of James, which we're gonna get to in a second. He says, James makes it very clear that God is not a dispenser of evil in the same way he is a giver of good. I'll say it again. God makes it clear that he is not a dispenser of evil in the same way he is a giver of good. He stands sovereignly over both good and evil, but he stands directly behind good and indirectly, as it were, over evil. So you can't always blame God. You can't always point the finger at God. Could it be that the situation that you have recently stepped into, the season that you have decided to go to, is bringing about some pain, some confusion, some anxiety, some stress that you weren't used to facing, but all of a sudden now you are? Could it be that you have put yourself in there? Whether that is good or bad, perhaps you're now receiving some things that you didn't have before you stepped into that season. So maybe, just maybe, 
It's us putting ourselves in this position. So here's what we know, though. Regardless if it's us putting ourselves in there or God putting us through here to learn or teach us something, we know the valley can be certain. Because what does David say? He says, even though I walk. Not someday I may, but he says, even though. Somebody say though. But even though I walk. So the one thing I can be certain of is that I will go through it. But the, also the, the other thing I can be certain of is that God, who is always certain, he is certainty in the uncertain. So I can be reliant on who God is. So in my uncertainty of the valley that is certain, I can be certain in the one thing that is certain. That's a lot of certain right there. And that's God. That's that God will be there. That the valley might be certain, but I can, I can still be led. My question for you is, can you still be led through the valley? Because notice the words that David says. He said, even though, that's the certainty, I walk through, that's the temporary. Anybody thankful for the temporary valleys that we walk through? God never intended for you to stay there. God never intended for you to make up residency in the valley. He didn't want you to take up, I'll say it again, residency in the valley. He wanted you to go through. Somebody say, I'm moving through. Come on, somebody say, I'm moving through. Anybody thankful they are moving through the valley? We don't have to stay there. God didn't say take up residency there. Whether God caused it or I caused it, God is wanting us to go through it. But here's what you need to do and write this down. You do the trusting. God will do the piloting. You do the trusting. God will do the piloting. I know that's like, I know some of us, we get in those planes and we're like, I wish I, I, wish I could knock that pilot out and I wish I could get up there and drive or fly it. I don't want, I just, but, but that, that's what we do when we step onto a plane. We trust that the pilot is going to take us to where we need to be and where we need to go. So God, I'm going to trust in you and you will do the piloting, even though that's the certainty I walk through. That's the certainty of the temporary. It's certain it's temporary. Here's the second thing we learn. Valleys are painful, but purposeful. Amen. Some of you don't want to say amen to that, but you know it's true. Values are painful, but purposeful. Go to the book of James with me if you can. Book of James. It's near the end of the Bible if you, in the, in the New Testament, and it's um, after Hebrews. You know, there's a lot of Jameses in the Bible. You have uh, James, the son of, uh, the brother of John. You've got uh, James is another disciple by the name of James. And then you have James, who's the half-brother of who? Jesus. What's interesting about James is it said that James didn't really even believe in his brother until after his brother died. But then all of a sudden, James becomes this, this man of God, this man who's helping pastor the church. And he writes this, he writes this book, which is believed to be by the, James, the, brother of, the half-brother of Jesus. He writes this, this, this book, which is, which is all about maturity, I mean, how many believe that God is taking uh, boys and making them men? Amen. How many believe God is taking girls and making them into women? How do we do that? This is, this is the book of James right here. So wives, if you want your husband to be a man, send him to the book of James. Men, if you want your wives to be a... Don't do that. Let them do that. <laughs> You just need to read James. You know, in fact, in my Bible, I wrote this a long time ago. It says right here, it's the, it's the how-to guide on how to be a Christian. The how-to guide on how to be a Christian. Some of you need, need the how-to guide, the basics, the, the, the 101 right here. This is it. And, uh, you know, when I was in sixth grade, I memorized the entire book of James, the six chapters. Now I probably only know the first two verses. That was a joke. Look at verse two with me. Consider it pure joy. Somebody say joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The key word there I want to hit on is in the very first, first verse right there. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever. Somebody say whenever. Here it is again. It's, it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. So I, I know that I'm going to face them. Face what? The trials, which, by the way, the trials and valleys are essentially the same. So, so it's not a matter of if, 
but it's a matter of when, and I know each have, have a divine purpose behind them. But are you telling me that in the middle of my valley, you're telling me how to respond? Remember, the question we're answering today is what should we know? But James here is telling us how we should respond. Maybe it's a relational valley. Maybe it's an emotional valley. Maybe it's a, a lonely valley. But regardless, James is saying, here's what I need you to do in the middle of it. I need you to count it as joy. You want me to laugh in the middle of my valley? God didn't tell you to laugh. He told, he told you to have joy. And you know what? You know the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness depends on what? What's happening? And joy depends on what? Jesus. And so I can be joyful in the valley. I don't have to be laughing, but I can be joyful because I have Jesus in the middle of it. And so James says, I need you to count it as joy. How can I physically, emotionally, spiritually count this as joy? And a lot of times you don't realize it until you get out of it. But God is wanting you to get through it, not pull you out of it, because he wants you to gain something. You won't gain what you need if God takes you out. But you'll gain what you need when you go through. It's going to be painful, but you will find the purpose when you get out. But James says, while you're in it, I need you to count it as joy. I need you to count it as joy. Why? Because it's developing perseverance. Perseverance for what? A perseverance that must be finished so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. How many of you would love to just lack nothing? And I just... I don't need, I don't need anything, man. I'm just so content with who I am. I'm so content with what I have. I am so content, God. You could, you could, I could be like Job. I pray that I'm not, but I could be like, I could, so hard to say. I don't even want to say it up here. You know, I'm like, could you imagine praying a prayer like that? I remember one day I was praying a prayer. We were at that, that band of brothers thing over the middle of nowhere. And I was like, God, I want you to shake me. God, I want you to, I, this, is, this is what I was praying. If you need to hurt me, hurt me, God, because I know that hurt will change me. But I remember sitting there praying, God, would you radically just shake my life? And that, that's not easy to pray. God, would you make me like a Job? Because Job was being made complete and not lacking anything. God is wanting to build character in us, but he's going to need our cooperation. What's our cooperation? To count it as joy. Come on, tell the person next to you, you need to count it as joy. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but you need it because it's completing you. It's building character in you. Question is, are we trusting? Are we submitting? Are we obeying? If you're wanting God to do a work through you, he's going to have to first do a work in you. Look at Moses. Remember the story of Moses? Again, I'm really only preaching one verse here, so I'm, I'm just pulling from all other passages and stories. Um, look, look at the story of Moses. This is so interesting. Moses is funny. Because uh, you have to understand, Moses was 80 when all of this happened that we read about him leading the Egyptians out. I'm like, was this man walking with a cane, you know, like leading these people out? Like 80 years, I know, I know age is a little bit different back then, but 80 years old, he was leading these men. What was he doing before that? Well, the first 40 years of his, of his life, he was in the palace. And then he fled. And then for the next 40 years of his life, he was tending sheep. That's where he met his wife. So he had his, met his, you know, had his father-in-law. And then when he was 80, he did what God called him to do. So you have to understand, this is 40 years of being in the palace was preparing him for Pharaoh. 40 years tending sheep was preparing him for leading and shepherding the Israelites through the wilderness. This is so interesting because, listen, God spent 80 years preparing Moses for 40 years of service. Because that's how long it took to get them through the wilderness, was 40 years. So two-thirds of his life, you could say he might have been in some valley where he was unsure of his purpose, 40 years of his life. How long was it before David, when he was told he was going to be king, to when he became king? 40 years. 40 years of preparation for David. 80 years of preparation for Moses. I don't think some of us could last that long. I'm like, take me now, God. I don't have purpose. My purpose is supposed to be in heaven, I guess. I'm just saying God is putting you through a season of preparation. It may be painful, but I promise you it'll be purposeful. But will you allow it to be purposeful? But you got to allow it to be what? Painful. 
I need you to rejoice while you're in it. It might be difficult, but I need you to rejoice while you're in it. Romans, Paul says in verse 3 of chapter 5, he says, not, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Now, a lot of times we'll, we'll see people glory after their sufferings. You know, I sat at, a, at my barbershop and I listened to a man who was in the, the Vietnam War talk about all that he went through. And I was just like crazy. In a sense, he was, he was glorying what was going on in his suffering. There was, he was laughing, he was joking, he was crying. It was like, it was like an emotional roller coaster while I was getting my haircut. I was crying too, but then I was laughing. So we know people glory after, but glory while you're in it. Glory while you're in it. We glory in our sufferings because we know we, we know we know, but it's really hard to know, that our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Somebody say hope. That's what our world needs today, right? Hope. And a hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, we know Paul's talking about hardship. And out of all people, Paul knows it best. But what he's trying to get us to understand is what it produces, what the pain produces. You may not want to go through the darkness, but I guarantee you when you go through it, you'll have a better appreciation for the light, right? You see, now that I'm going through it, and now that I'm out of it, I now have a better appreciation for it. You know, it was in 2005 when, I don't know if it was Hurricane Wilma or Hurricane Katrina. I think they came in the same year, 2005. But I was in like, I don't know, eighth, uh, some middle school or whatever. And I'll never forget, we had two weeks of no school. Now, like everything was catastrophe. I was just excited about the fact that I had no school for two weeks. But we had no power. And because there was no power, there was no AC. And I don't know about you, but living in South Florida, that's like a requirement. That's a necessity, except for the few days of the year where it's, you know, in, in the 60s. We, and, and today, apparently, um, we, we need AC. I said there, I was sleeping on the tile. That's how hot I was. We were taking buckets from the lake to pour in the toilet so we can use the toilet. I mean, I, mean, I, I took for granted AC, never after that. And now that I have my own place, and we could probably use another AC, but I don't know how much it costs. I don't take for granted anymore AC. I'm just so thankful for AC. But see, I learned to have an appreciation for it once I got out of it. And I think at times God is wanting you to go through it so you can have an appreciation once you get out of it. But you won't have the appreciation if he just pulls you from it. Again, I'm trying to get you to understand that you're going to go through it. And so now I... Now I, now I understand that the pain that is presented perhaps is bringing forth passion. Because, I mean, you know, a lot, of our, a lot of our passion is stemming from our pain. In fact, write this down. God never wastes our pain. God never wastes our pain. Come on, God never wastes our pain. And perhaps your greatest ministry might be flowing out of your greatest pain. Your greatest ministry might be flowing out of your greatest pain. You now can do things. You now can talk about things. You now can experience things differently because you've been through it. So don't run from it. Use it. Tell the person next to you, I want you to use it. You gotta use it. Give God the glory and watch him bring you the success. Do you remember the valley that Joseph was in? Joseph was in a valley and his brother sold him into slavery. He was thrown into prison. But he became second in command of Egypt. What was his purpose, just to be in second of command? No, to save an entire nation from a famine. God placed him there. God put him through the pain to give him his purpose. It was his greatest pain that led to, led to his greatest purpose. This is, this is what's happening. Peter, I love this story because, you know, the life of Peter is interesting. Because Peter, who was maybe the closest to Jesus, told Jesus that I'll never leave you, I'll always love you, I'll stay by your side forever. And Jesus was like, no, you won't. <laughs> I mean, you're going to die for me, but you're going to deny me three times. Deny you? I wouldn't deny you. Could you imagine, like, when you go to work next, tomorrow, you're going to completely deny me. I'm like, I'm not going to deny you. I go to church every single Sunday, right? Like, I can tell people that. Um, but what happens to Peter's life? Exactly what Jesus said. Jesus goes to... Uh, 
the high priest after he was arrested. And, and then here we find Peter, who's denying Jesus three times to three different people. And I remember reading this story. This is, this is yesterday. I'm just going through this. I think it, uh, all four Gospels record this. But I think it's the book of John. It is the book of John that, that uh, records a little bit after. But all four record what happens. They, Peter denies Jesus. And what does it say? He says he wept bitterly. And, and I read that. And I had like some, I had my AirPods in my ears. I was listening to some, like some instrumental music. Because I can't listen to like people singing while I'm like reading or studying. I can't do that. I'm like, can you just can you turn the voices off? And I just find like some instrumental uh, music. And I'm just sitting there. And I'll tell you what, I had a moment with the Lord. You know, I don't always have this. I don't always come, come here and be like, man, I was just weeping over this thing. I was, I was weeping. My wife was sleeping, so she didn't even know this. I mean, there was just, because I related with Peter. Now, have I necessarily denied him three times in front of people that said, oh, do you know Jesus? Not necessarily. But I can tell you plenty of moments in my life where I should have said something and I never did. I should have stuck up for him, and for Jesus, and I never did. Friends talking bad about him, things I'm watching talking bad about him. And I'm sitting there thinking, I should say something, but, but I couldn't because I was fearful, probably just like Peter was. You know that it's not recorded that Peter had another conversation with Jesus before he died on the cross? Could you imagine your last conversation with Jesus is saying, I won't deny you, and then you go around and you do it? Could you imagine how, what the valley that Peter is walking in, the valley that Peter is living in, he was one of the closest to Jesus. Now he probably feels like he is the furthest from Jesus. But this is why God is so good, because God is a God of second chances. God is a God of restoration. God wanted to reinstate Peter, and it happens in the book of John. Because what does Peter do? Because what happens next? Peter denies Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross. He's put in a grave. What happens? Well, Jesus resurrects from the grave, which, by the way, we're going to celebrate here on Easter, coming up really soon. But what happens? Peter goes right back to what he was doing before. He goes back to fishing, and he fishes, and he brings the other disciples with him. And then there's this man on the shoreline who shouts out, cast your net on the other side of the boat, and they catch all this fish, and it just it clicks for Peter. That is Jesus and before G Peter could even say, grab the rose, let's get back to the shore, Peter just jumps in the water and he swims. He just says, I gotta, I gotta be by him. I gotta see him. I gotta speak to him. I failed. This is the darkness that I've been walking in. I put myself here. And I just wanna be by the man who can get me out of it. But Peter doesn't even say anything to Jesus. In fact, Jesus is the first one to ask him a question. Remember the question Jesus asked Peter? He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, of course. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times he asked him that question. Three times Jesus reinstated Peter for the three denials of Jesus. Three times. But what happens next? This is, this is just so crazy. Literally, I'm sitting here and I had to go to my room because I didn't want my wife to hear me and wake her up. I'm just on the bed weeping saying, God, that could have been me. And you could have given up on me. And you could have just left me there in my denial, you could have just abandoned me there. But Jesus came back for Peter. And what happens next? Jesus ascends to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes. The day of Pentecost takes place. The filling of the Holy Spirit takes place. And guess who stands up to preach in front of 3,000 people? It wasn't John. It wasn't Andrew. Was it Judas? No, it wasn't Judas. Too many Judas jokes today, okay? It wasn't Judas. It was Peter. He stands up there. He preaches. He admits that he has a passion and a love for God. And 3,000 people get saved. Jesus said, you denied me in front of three people. I'm going to cause you to admit about me in front of 3,000 people. And watch what I do. Come on. How crazy is that? I'm just saying, God is bringing purpose through your pain. God is bringing purpose through your pain. Will you allow God to transform the pain that you have been through into purpose? Will you allow God to, to, to convince you that it's time to step out? It's time to speak up? It's time to start sharing about your experiences that you have been holding on to that you don't want to say because you haven't seen any purpose from it. It's just been hurt. It's been wounds. It's been abandonment. But God is saying, now I need you to speak it for good. What the enemy used for bad, 
I'm going to use it for good. And so I need you to talk about it because there is somebody else that needs to be freed from it. But they won't unless you say something. So perhaps God is saying, I need you to take your purpose or your pain and I need you to bring it into purpose. Just watch what I do. Watch what I do. Trust me. Trust me. And watch what takes place. God never wastes our pain, even though I walk through the valley. Through is temporary. God is bringing purpose through it. And here's my third one, and I'll close with this. Valleys might be people absent, but they will be God present. Come on. Isn't it interesting how many of us, when, we, when things are great, everybody's around us, they're cheering us on, but when things are bad, nobody's around? If you tell people, I just want a bunch of cash, you're going to have friends come out of everywhere. But if you tell people that you need prayer and you're hurting, <laughs> nobody shows up. Nobody shows up. Maybe the, some of the people at church do, but nobody else. Oh, you're going to talk about your problems? I'm out of here. But that's the truth. A lot of times the experiences we go through, it's like nobody's there. What happened? Uh, David said this in two chapters later of Psalm 25. He says, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and I am afflicted. Perhaps you're there today. But can I remind you what David said in Psalm 23 verse four? He said, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Come on, say, say God is with me. Come on, believe it. God is with me. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, what was the rod? The rod was the weapon that the, that the shepherd held. It was a sturdy wooden stick that he would use to fight off animals. It was a weapon. The staff was a longer stick that had a, you know, had a, had a hook at the end. It was for when the sheep wandered off and, and the shepherd would bring them back into the places where they got stuck. He, he would get them out of there. David said the rod represents the Lord's strength and the protection, but the staff represents um, uh, the guidance of God. Now, uh, I've learned that the, the rod hurts, but the, the staff feels good. But that also hurts. Because how many you know the correction isn't always comforting? Correction isn't always pleasant, but it's necessary because God said you can't stay there. You're not, you're not supposed to stay there. I need, you to, I, need you to, I need you to pull you out of there. In fact, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hands. Come on, anybody thankful for the righteous right hand of God that is pulling you out of the dark places? I'll tell you what, this is how good God is. Cheryl, hand me, hand me, this, hand me this book. So I think it was Monday. I'm like, um, here's a book on my shelf that I've had for maybe a year or so. And uh, I was just started to open it up. I'm like, I'm gonna start reading this book. Well, you know what this book is about? It's all about Elijah the prophet. And the book's called Out of the Cave. It's by a pastor named Chris Hodges. He's a pastor up in Birmingham, Alabama. The book is Stepping into the Light When Depression Darkens What You See. Listen, I couldn't even get past the foreword without crying, without underlining. And then I got to the introduction and I was like, I don't even need to read this book anymore. Holy cow. I, I wanna read to you what I read earlier this week. This is, this is the introduction. This is what he writes. He talks about Elijah the prophets. He said, he experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, sometimes one right after the other. In fact, one after, after one of his greatest spiritual victories, which was on Mount Carmel, when he defeated the 450 prophets of Baal. He said right after his great spiritual victory, Elijah wanted to give up and take his own life. He ran away. He isolated himself and he hid in a dark cave. Can you relate to Elijah? But then he says this, but God met Elijah right where he was. Come on, but God met Elijah right where he was. But God is meeting you right where you are at. He is not waiting for you to get out to come sit with you. He is sitting with you right now in the dark cave of depression that you are in. In the darkness that you are in, God is present. People may be absent. Your friends may have abandoned you. You've isolated yourself. You're lonely, but God is there. And he said, rather than rebuke the prophets, and this is like, this is, this is Jesus and Peter right here. This is an Old Testament story of Jesus and Peter. 
It says, rather than rebuke the prophet, the Lord invited Elijah to step forward to leave his cave and to embark on a divinely appointed mission with a renewed sense of purpose. Somebody say purpose. He went through the pain, but he received the purpose. The prophet then became a mentor for a younger man named Elisha. And together, God used them to change the world. You can sit down. This is, this is just incredible because God here is now reinstating Elijah. There was a valley, but it was temporary. There was pain, but he saw the purpose. What was the purpose? To go and find Elisha. Who, by the way, scholars would say, did the most miracles second to Jesus, this prophet that Elijah. So Elijah could have just given up. I'm over, God, I'm done. I just tried, I tried, and nothing's working for me, I'm over. God says, I need you to uh, appoint somebody else who's gonna do greater works than you. So I need you, Elijah, to get out of that cave. Come on, I, I need you to get out. But the truth is that God was there, and the only way Elijah was able to get out was because God was present. This book's called Out of the Cave, by the way, by Chris Hodges, Out of the Cave. I'm, I'm reading it, and I'm like, this is... This is just unreal. God met Elijah right where he is at. Here lies the truth and the key to getting out of it, God. Here lies the truth and the key to getting through it, God. Here lies the only, the only reason why you're going to discover the purpose in your pain is who? God. Medication works? Sure. Therapists work? Sure. But you have to understand that medication and therapists really only, only fight the body and, and soul. But there's a spirit part of us, too that we have to take care of. I can take care of the body all I want. I can take care of the soul all that I want, but it's the spirit that Paul says that should be governing the body and the soul. It's the spirit. So I have to make sure that this is what I'm focused on. Have you allowed the spirit of God to govern you or has it been fear? What has been piloting you through the valley? Has it been fear or has it been faith? Because God is the only one that's gonna get you out of this. I wanna close with just this this last story, and uh, I, uh, I started with Disney, and I'm going to end with Disney, okay? Can you, Dad, can you take, take these? This is like a lot. Um, so I, I turn on Disney Plus. Man, I love Disney Plus. How many thankful for, for Disney Plus? Come on. Clean, entertain, mostly. Clean, entertain, you know? And uh, I'm like, sometimes I'm a nerd with uh, the National Geographic stuff. Not all the time, but when I get, when I get involved with one, I'm like, wow, this is so much more edifying than watching some stupid show, you know? Like, I'm learning things, and now I'm sharing things. So I tune in, and, and there's this show called, uh, it's a documentary called uh, The Rescue. And if you remember, in 2018, there was 12 boys and a coach that got stuck in a cave in Thailand. You remember that? I, I was like, I remember the story, but I don't remember what happened. Like, who got saved and who didn't get saved? And it's about 12 boys and their coach who venture out into a cave in Thailand, and these caves were meant for people to, to explore and discover. But during a few months out of the year, they closed it because of the rain. And they were going in kind of at the beginning of the rainy season. And all of a sudden, the rain came, and uh, they were so far in it that the only way out was now submerged in water. And so they kept diving deeper, not diving, but they kept walking deeper and deeper and deeper. And uh, these parents were like, where are our kids? And they realized they were stuck in the cave. They were like a mile in the cave, stuck. Their, their oxygen was depleting. They had no food, and they certainly had no light. And the people are trying to figure out, what do we do? How do we, how do we get them out? Do we dig from the top? Do we dive to get there? They, they don't even know what to do. And so they call upon, I was just like, this was a Tuesday night, but I had to go to sleep, so I, I turned it off. And I woke up first thing in the morning, and I turned it back on. And, uh, and I got, like I said, God was just putting me through something because I was sitting there... <laughs> At 7 a.m., you know, my bowl of cereal, milk everywhere. I'm just crying as I'm watching this because everything changes now when you become a father. I got two little boys. Could you imagine if those were my boys in that cave? And you're watching these parents who are weeping. They're praying. They're praying to, to, to somebody, but they're, they're just crying. They're, they're assuming their kids are long gone, and by the time they get them, they're going to be dead. And so they call upon these guys all throughout the world who are, as a hobby, they cave dive. They're not like experienced. This isn't their living. As a hobby, they cave dive. But they're the most experienced at it. And I don't, I don't want to ruin it all for you because you should watch it. But these guys go in there. And they eventually find the boys. But that was the easy part. Because the hard part was getting them out because they were so deep in there. And it was all covered in water. And so they would bring these ropes 
to, to make sure they know where they were going. It was so dark, they would just hold onto the rope to find the next chamber of pocket of airs, and they found the boys, and it was seven, 10 days into this. Now they're bringing some food, but they gotta try and get these boys out. And the only way, it was a doctor from Australia, crazy people in Australia, I don't know, they, yeah, they came up with solutions. He's like, let's sedate them. That's the only way. We're gonna knock them out, and we're gonna drag them through the water. The only way was to sedate them. You have these boys who are going to go under, and they're gonna be, the, the guy was explaining, he's like, I, I shoved a mask on a kid who was, who was as if he was dead, and I shoved his head underwater. He's like, I never thought I had to do those two things. And so they sedate the boys, and one by one, you have an experienced diver dragging a boy, holding onto a rope through the only passage that they can get onto. And, and to be honest, I'm like, that is us. We are those boys. We are sheep who wander off, who get stuck in dark places, who get stuck in caves. And the only solution is for us to completely surrender, to completely rid ourselves of all of our efforts. Those boys couldn't do anything. The only thing they could do was allow this man to stick a needle into their leg, to knock them out, to get a mask shoved on their face, to be dragged. And by the way, they could only go by themselves because there wasn't enough room for, two, for more than two people. There were some portions where they had to shove a body through a hole and then they themselves had to go through a hole. So it may be people absent, but it'll be God presence. As long as you can trust God completely, he will get you out of the cave that you are in. As long as you can trust God completely, he will get you where you need to be. Church, can we stand to our feet all across this room? I just wonder if you have not been trusting. I just wonder if you have failed at surrendering. And what God is telling you today through this story, David says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear evil because I know that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think God might be telling you today to fully trust in him. You may, you may have been trying this whole time to get out on yourself. But God is saying, I need you to allow me. It's like the story of David. You know, I always think about David and, the, and, he, and he's, he's slinging the, the rock to the giant. That rock, how did that rock kill that giant? David had a rock. He didn't really have anything, but he had God. He had God. And that was all that he needed. And he knew that. And so I just wonder if it's time to put down our efforts and to fully trust in God. Some of you have been fighting this battle for a very long time. Some of you have been in darkness for a very long time. You have not been able to get out of it because you have been trusting the wrong person. You have been trusting the wrong substance. You have been trusting the wrong avenue of escape. God is saying, I need you to trust me. Because yeah, I have a weapon, but I have a staff. And no matter what place you get stuck in, my staff will get you out. And so would you just pray with me? This is the knowledge that we find in the valley. God, I thank you so much that you are, you, are, you are allowing us to see you as a shepherd, as a comforter, as somebody who cares and loves. You are a God of second chances. I know it better than most maybe in here. I'm thankful that you are a God of second chances. And so, Father, I daily die to self and surrender to you. Less of me, Jesus, and more of you. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room today who is struggling and that is far from you, I hope, and, I hope and pray that they know that it is only one step back to you. You are there. You're tugging at our heart. You're knocking at the door. You're saying, let me in. You have prepared a table. There is a seat. We just need to sit in it. So God, right now in this moment, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if there's anybody in this room who you're saying, Jacob, anybody watching it online saying, Jacob, I have not let God run my life. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. You're saying, Jacob, that's me. That, that is me. I need to surrender to Jesus fully. I have not surrendered. I have partially surrendered. But you couldn't get out of that cave partially surrendering. You know why? Because you would have had a lot of stress. You would have lost all your oxygen and you would have not have survived. So God's saying, I need you to completely surrender. Completely surrender will get you out of it. Completely surrender will show you the purpose while you're in it and while the purpose while you're out of it. But you got to completely surrender. And so if that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you repeat after me, church? Would you, would you all repeat after me? Would you say, dear heavenly father, forgive me. I'm lost. I'm a sheep. I have been wandering. I am stuck. I'm in a valley. Would you save me? Come on, God, would you save me? Change me from the inside out. Make me a new person. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my actions. Make me new. 
Come on, make me new. Today, I will serve you. I will follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? If you made that decision, there's that connect card in front of you. Grab that connect card, please, don't forget. I'll tell you what, the enemy wants you to walk out of this room and not say anything. But man, we wanna get with you, we wanna pray with you. In fact, I know we have some prayer partners that I've asked, and maybe they'll make their way up to the front, and they'll just be with you, and if you need prayer for anything, we'll pray for you. I'll be up here. We're gonna worship for a little bit longer, and, and then you'll be dismissed. Church, we love you. Thank you for being here. God is good, amen. Come on, God is good, amen. He's wanting us to lay it all down. Come on, would you do so? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way, everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.